the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a delight to bring back dear old friend uh, of ours. Uh, We missed him um, just due to travels and other uh, inconveniences, unfortunately. But he is with us. He is alive and well. He is Pete Peterson. He is uh, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Glad to have you back here, Pete. Uh, How are you, sir? Happy Friday. I'm well and uh, just so glad to be back. It's just such a such a great way to end the week. I love ending our weeks with you. I really do. And uh, you know what we were doing a little earlier, Pete? There's a lot to talk about. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we were commemorating that tonight will be the 59th anniversary of Ronald Reagan's Time for Choosing speech. My goodness. And uh, we were going through some of it and just how very darned relevant and pertinent it still is. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. That's so true. An amazing speech. And of course, it's uh, even if you're just reading the the text is powerful enough. But his his delivery just made it so much more so. The delivery is wonderful. People can go to YouTube or watch it. No notes, no anything like that. Your old professor, Steve Hayward. He said, at the time, critics thought the speech was too emotional, while others thought it was too controversial. But after the speech, it was clear that Ronald Reagan and his ideas were simply irresistible. You know, the speech almost didn't happen. There were high Mm. figures in the Goldwater campaign, like the chairman of the campaign and others, who said it was just it was not a good idea and tried to convince Barry Goldwater uh, not to let it air, not to let Ronald Reagan air it. And... um, and anyway, these these little parts of history that I know you love so much, just by one needle moving, you know, a millimeter, history could have yeah. been changed totally. So true. You know, just one, yeah. one little millimeter. And uh, thank God for people like Henry Salvatore, who bought the airtime on NBC. And anyway, yeah. the rest is history, as they say. It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. The power of one speech. You think about that, you know, we could probably off the top of our heads come up with maybe five or ten speeches that moved and changed the world. I don't know. Crisis of a house divided, certainly Sermon on the Mount, other Churchill's. That would be one of them, though. Time for choosing changed the world. Not that day, but over the course of the next 20 years. Well, of course, it did in part, not just because of the words of the speech, but because it vaulted. Right. Reagan into national prominence. So the impact of the speech is is both in the text of the address, which lays out really the conservative case so eloquently, but it also obviously brought someone into national prominence politically uh, in ways that made possible the eventual uh, Reagan revolution 16 years hence. That's right. And then the fall of the Soviet Union. You know, people weren't sure whether they could take this guy seriously or not. You know, he wasn't that popular anymore by 1964. And he, of course, showed them, as he always did, two-term governor of California. And then as he was gearing up again, you know, after his defeat by 
Jerry Ford in 76. So he was gearing up again for 1980. People weren't so sure he had it anymore. They say the expression these days is lost his fastball or something like that. And and I am told uh, by credible historians of the moment that his Panama Canal debate with uh, William Buckley in 1978 proved them wrong again, that he certainly still did have his fastball, that he could go up against William Buckley and, you know, Hit, uh, yeah, and debate him on, on fairly equal footing and uh, show yeah. him again, you know, the gift of communication, yeah. right? Well, any, any, you know, you look back over that speech, and I just, I just popped it up here oh, in the good. office. Good, yeah. uh, it reminded me of really how, as much as, you know, there certainly was, there are emotional flourishes throughout the speech there's a lot of public policy in there there certainly uh, is it's there's, it, there's it a is. lot of data yep. there's a lot of uh there's a lot of looking at the failures of public policy and actually quantifying those it's not it's not just uh tugging at the heartstrings he was he was going for the head as that's well right. as the heart that's absolutely and and obviously hit both yeah absolutely right and really i urge people to watch it too i was playing some audio and a friend texted me during it saying I forgot, you know, how, how strong and clear he was. We have this image of him, this memory of him from, you know, his, his last years of presidency or whatever, being a little bit more avuncular, a little bit more soft-spoken. But it was that stentorian, clear, mm. uh, direct speaking ability that made him able to win the presidency and be avuncular as our president uh, later in life. It's uh, People forget, you know, what a strong what a, what a strong orator he he was and thinker. And some of the themes yeah. carried through. I was pointing out to the audience, you know, a theme he used in that speech. I heard him use it or I read <laughs> didn't hear read him use it when he was inaugurated as governor in 1967. And then son of a gun again in his inaugural address in 1981. The same exact line. If no one among us is capable of governing himself then who among us has the capacity to govern someone else? Someone else. Self-government, yeah. right? Yeah. Master-slave yeah, right. theory of Abraham Lincoln, right? So I would not be a, a, a slave, neither would I be a master. This was deep within Reagan, this notion of self-government, and if we didn't believe in it, that we had no right to engage in governing others, right? But what he, what he also did so powerfully in that speech, and obviously this was just the first of so many, mm-hmm. was he took on progressives on their own ground, yeah. which is to say, we can talk about these, you know, amazing welfare and social welfare programs, yeah. but let's look at their actual impact. Yeah. Don't, don't come to me and say that I care more because I'm willing to spend these, okay. well, at the time, millions, yeah. eventually, yeah. billions and trillions of dollars on these programs. Let's actually look at their impact. And in case after case, Reagan just keeps going after you said you were going to do this, but we still have this many people in poverty. Yeah. You said you're going to do this. We still have this many people unemployed and, and really ha- holds the other side's feet to the fire, not on what their intentions are, but on the actual results of these policies. So true. He says, if government planning and welfare had the answer, and they've had almost 30 years of it, God knows me, 30 years, shouldn't we expect government to read the score to us once in a while? Shouldn't they be telling us about the decline each year in the number of people needing help, the reduction in the need for public housing? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's right. That's kind of... And then he carries on, but yeah. the reverse is true. <laughs> yes, and then he just, yes, you know, yes, bullet yes. point after bullet point saying, we've spent this money and we're not seeing those kinds yeah. of results. And yes. of course, that was something he carried through, especially into the 1980 campaign yes. uh, and beyond to say, don't, don't tell me you care for others by how much money you're willing to spend. And usually in confiscatory ways, uh, tell me about the actual impact of the programs you're putting into place. Exactly. It was a di- yes. I mean, you could probably. It would be interesting to uh, maybe even have a course or lecture or guest speaker come in and update all the numbers. By the way, <laughs> yeah. and, and and go through that public the public policy aspects of that speech almost line by line or paragraph by paragraph. It would just be really interesting because it he, would. It, it it's as I say I. It's as pertinent now as it was then on the philosophy as much as on the public policy in um, in sharp relief, I think. Agreed. Agreed. You uh, at Pepperdine, I want to talk to you about Pepperdine. You guys do a lot of great stuff. Um, you had a conference uh, since we last spoke on yeah. broken windows. Yesterday. Broken windows. Yeah. Yeah, that was wanna, just yesterday. I, I want to get to that, but before I get yeah. to, if you'll permit me, can we talk about college campuses and broken souls and broken morals? Mm. Can we talk a little yeah. bit about that with what we've we seen can. over the last two weeks? We'll get we to sure broken can. windows in a moment. What the hell, Pete? What the hell? Yeah. These yeah. are not Palestinian um, protests. These are genocide marches I'm watching. Well, and of course, this is timing matters, and... For anyone to step out in support of uh, the Palestinian movement in the wake of the atrocities of these last couple of weeks um, is is utterly outrageous. Any sense of human compassion would say, even if you care deeply about this issue, now is not the time. Now is the time for calling evil acts what they are. And uh, now is not the time. Uh, to be striking fear that, uh, you know, my alma mater, George Washington University. I don't know if you saw what I happened saw, there. Praise the martyrs. Praise the praise martyrs. Of, glory to the martyrs glory gets flashed up on the Gelman Library, yeah. a place where, frankly, I did not spend a lot of time at GW. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just but the largest. But you noticed largest, it walking by. Yes, right. You should, yeah. yes. Right. And, and, of course, you know, the, the fear that is being struck into the hearts of Jewish students, this Jewish students at where Cooper administrators Union? need to be. Jew- Jewish yes, students I at did. Cooper Union being told they had to escape through tunnels? In the library. Yeah. yeah. I mean, where, where does this hate come from? Can I take a break? It needs and, to be... Yeah, let me take a break and, and, and pursue yep. that with you when we come back, if that's okay. Can we do that? This is the question Absolutely. of our age, I think. And I want to point out, too, by the way, while we're pointing things out, this unapologetic Christian University Pepperdine, where you are the dean, has had none of this. Just FYI. FYI. All right, I do have a break coming up. Pete Peterson and I will be right back. The double and triple tonguing of Al Hurt there. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Pete Peterson with us, the dean of really one of the fine schools, uh, one of the finest schools in the world. Lucky to have it just over the border from us in California. It's the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. If you uh, are interested in a career in public policy, um, this is the place to go. With all the problems of our campuses, not even talking about the past month, uh, Pepperdine is the answer. Pete, thanks for being with us. Um, 
you um, you study, you appreciate, um, you know the mind and ethics and ethos of our youth. Um, Harvard Harris conducted a poll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 51% of 18 to 24-year-old voters, so these aren't just 18 to 24-year-olds, these are 18 to 24-year-olds who have taken the action of registering to vote. 51% of majority answered justified to the question, do you think the Hamas killing of Israeli civilians can be justified even given the grievances of Palestinians? A majority of 18 to 24-year-olds said yes. Uh, 38% said what happened was not genocide. That, I, what, what happened here, Pete? Well, I think there are a few different things going on. Um, in many ways, it's the the current state of the views of many in academia and in that 18 to 24 age category of Israel is seen through the broader ideological lens that can only be described as simplistic um, and one in which views the world and human relationships through the uh, the lens of uh, oppressed and oppressor, that you are either one or the other, either as an individual or as a state or as an institution. And this, obviously, way of looking at the world has been cast on Israel. Now, that's the ideological part. The other part is just straight-up anti-Semitism, which has been a scourge on humanity for millennia. (laughs) Uh, But both of these seem to be coming together um, in such a way that is um, obviously extremely toxic and disappointing. Um, And at the same time, uh, I fear that as the ground offensive moves forward by IDF forces in Gaza, we're just only at the early stages of uh, anti-Semitism being revealed on a number of college campuses. But it's this mixture of ideology as well as just the, uh, the, the long-standing evil of anti-Semitism. I agree with everything you said, including the prediction of where public opinion will move. I, I, this pattern has happened too many times for it to be different going forward. So I think we're going to all obviously have to steel ourselves for that, too. But the anti-Semitism part, I saw someone wrote the other day, um, if you didn't protest the tens of thousands of Palestinians killed during the civil war in Syria, or if you don't care about the Palestinian oppression in Jordan— And if you don't care about the Palestinian refugees suffering in Lebanon or about the Palestinians on the border that Egypt refuses to help or give shelter to uh, or the Palestinians who suffer under the thumbscrews of Hamas and even in the West Bank and only seem to care about it over the last through that them over the last three weeks, I have news for you. You're not pro-Palestinian. You're anti-Jew. Uh, strong, but hard to conclude otherwise. I guess what I'm just saying is this, Pete. We knew anti-Semitism existed. I just didn't know it existed this fiercely. And I don't know whether these kids don't know what they're thinking or talking about or whether they actually believe it. Some of them believe it. Maybe all of them. 
I don't know. I can't get a read on it. Yeah, I well, I, I think it's fair to say that there is a general ignorance of the true history of that region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, um, distorted by an ideology that only sees people as uh, oppressors or oppressed yeah. or victims and oppressors, mm-hmm. um, it becomes impossible to see the true nuance in some instances of, of history, but also to understand um, the the deep history of that region, because it's simply not being taught. I think there is a lot of ignorance. Now, one of the other factors that I'm beginning to learn more about, and I frankly didn't understand it fully myself, is that the pro-Palestinian cause on college campuses is far more organized than it used to be. Correct. Um, Correct. You know, listeners can look up, uh, you know, Palestinian student organizations. There is a national organization mm-hmm. that I'm, I would, it seems just from the website is, is, is either supporting or funding or helping to organize these student chapters that we're seeing as one of the on-campus locus points right. for uh, many of these uh, protests and letter signings and and so forth. So that that viewpoint um, has become much more organized on college campuses yeah. than maybe what we would have seen even even ten years ago. I think that's right. Uh, and then there's a paradox. I have had. Um various theories on, and I wonder what yours might be. When you look at a lot of these protesters, and certainly the progressive squad that sides with them, when it comes to their domestic and social policies, there is a country that respects them and a country that would put them in jail or death for holding them, or at least yeah. a movement. Yeah. And they're protesting with the latter, not the for- on behalf of the latter, not the former. Right. Can you explain this to me? I, I think it really does strike to the to the ignorance of their understanding of that region. Okay. Uh, and you know there was a there was a meme you may have seen a cartoon where a young what seems to be a college student is is dancing uh, or skipping along a, a field of grass with a what appears to be a, a Hamas terrorist. Uh, that's the first picture the second picture is the young lady's head being chopped off yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know yeah. this you know this understanding that somehow this these issues in Israel can neatly fit into a progressive political context is utterly false right right if if your issues were about so-called conservative views on family, marriage, role of women, so on and so forth. I mean, to to throw in your lot with Hamas terrorists yeah. 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 Uh, and Islamists, yeah. Yeah. Islamic terrorists. I yeah. mean, this is this just shows both ignorance and I think, frankly, hatred. Yeah, that that's, that's to the degree that you really don't believe in some of the things that you say you hold dear is when you're willing to jettison those in moments like this. I love what Douglas Murray said. I don't know if you saw his speech in England. He said, I did. Yeah. I, beautiful. Right. Um, one of the, maybe, yeah. maybe when we mark down beautiful speeches someday in the history books, that'll go down as one of them. He said, try your luck in Gaza. Try it. 
Just try it for a day. <laughs> All right. Let's talk yeah. broken windows when we come back. Pete Peterson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson is our guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. And uh, just what a great school it is, what a great academic he is, um, and we love visiting with him. You had a conference. Okay, so I think the Broken Windows Theory dates back to circa 1981-82, Pete, George Skelling, and Jim Wilson, if I'm not That's mistaken. That's right. 1982 article in the fall 1982 issue of The Atlantic. The Atlantic magazine. And right. um, it changed uh, – It cr- it changed. Uh, Policing, it changed uh, criminal justice, it changed uh, crim- criminal justice reform. Uh, say a word about it and, and what it was, if you don't mind, and then talk to us about what we learned at our conference this week. Yeah, so the title of it was uh, Revisiting Broken Windows. Okay. And uh, the agenda began with uh, a terrific lunch keynote by Rafael Mangual, who's oh, yeah. at the Manhattan yeah. Institute, yeah. really yeah. gave a terrific talk on on the simple uh, but profound reality that we seem to be unlearning mm. in so many American cities uh, what we really did learn uh, beginning in those early 80s with folks like Wilson and Kelling uh, with a kind of logical understanding that if lower level crimes are not prosecuted in some way, then chances are you will tend to see higher level crimes. And of course, this is now being uh, overturned in cities from L.A. to uh, Philadelphia. But really, we, we forget, even though some of these cities were experiencing rising crime levels, but to remember what New York City was like in the 80s and early 90s. I mean, there were years where we had over 2,000 murders Mm. in New York. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. these were brutal Mm -hmm. environments. I remember going to George Washington University back in the late 80s, and it was the so-called murder capital of the country. I remember, yeah. Um, These were very dangerous places. At one point, Mangual said that even today in certain parts of Chicago, it is more dangerous for the citizens in certain neighborhoods than for frontline combat soldiers in Afghanistan. Wow. 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 And so in part, as the title connotes, we are revisiting uh, broken windows. And it's fair to say that some things have been impugned into broken windows and uh, James Hugh Wilson's and, and Kelling's original understanding and definition of that, which uh, were not really true. It's, it's probably carrying too much water in some ways. But this this broader view of what you might call quality of life uh, crimes, everything from uh, prostitution to graffiti, uh, what that does to a neighborhood, how a neighborhood responds, and how criminals view certain neighborhoods, uh, these are all long-established truths that we really do need to revisit in so many of our uh, American cities. My understanding was the two-folded nature of it, or the two, uh, two-faced nature of it, 
One being exactly as you put it, that a neighborhood, a community, a subway stop, you name it, can become inured to degradation, I suppose, and decrepitude from, yes, graffiti, overgrown uh, fields, uh, broken windows, literally, but also... Uh, what were you putting? Uh, what were you saying? Panhandling and, and and prostitution and loitering and that kind of thing. You can get used to that, and then of course things grow from there. There's another side and another face that I thought was related as well, which is when you started making arrests for uh, uh, these people who weren't necessarily violent. Your loiterers, your 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 panhandlers, etc. You would often find that there were a lot of warrants for these people on other tougher yeah. crimes, right? Right. They got yeah. the, the turnstile jumpers, if you will. Yeah, there's certainly some of that. And it was important and and highlighted uh, in the talks by several of our speakers yesterday that some of the more extreme prosecutory or, if you will, crime-fighting techniques um, like stop and frisk, for example, um, those were not really a part of, nor were they condoned uh, by Wilson and Kelly. I mean, they understood when you read that piece that some of what they were proposing could be taken to extremes. The so-called zero tolerance policies are not part of this discussion either. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, let's talk about it now and what we're living with by the unlearning of this doctrine. I love that phrase, unlearning. I've always, uh, we'll do it when we come back. We'll be right back. Pete Peterson is my guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, also fabulous uh, Twix, Twitter X feed, at Pete for CA. Pete, do you ever have uh, problems? I mean, you educate the youth. Do you ever have problems with recalcitrant assistance, you know, impertinent? <laughs> why, do, why do I have a sense that this question is being asked with, uh, I have, with you, a more you've met young David. reference? You've met young David, my producer. I have, and, I have. And I'm yes. trying to... Fine young man. I'm trying, to, man. I'm trying to acculturate him, and I tell him <laughs> one of the movies he needs to watch is Jaws, and he says, as soon as it oh, comes yeah. on Netflix, I'll do it. So it comes on Netflix, and I asked him if he watched it, he said... No, I was watching The Electric Horseman. Who puts Jane Fonda, or whatever The Electric Horseman was, I think it was, yeah. who does that? Who puts J- yeah. Electric Horseman before Jaws, Pete? Yeah, Recalcitrant. No, no, that's, that, in, that is not the right order. In, yeah, impertinent. For sure. for sure. Yes, yes. All yes. right. Um, this is what I'm dealing with here. <laughs> broken windows. Broken windows. All right. So you had said we've unlearned a lot. Boy, I love that phrase of yours, because I think of this great Tom Wolfe essay, 1987, the need for a great relearning, the things we used mm. to know. Yeah, worth, worth. Yeah. We need a great relearning. We've gone through an awful lot of unlearning, and it's played out, right, on the streets of San Francisco, This, which used to oh, stand yeah. for a different phrase, the streets of Santa Monica, Venice. Yeah. Um, this is the, the unlearning of the broken windows theory has led to an awful lot of um, human self-destruction. And not just of those, I mean, they're not just victimizing themselves, Pete, right? They're victimizing communities and they are, make, you know, it's a vicious cycle where opportunity cost also of, you know, employment opportunities just dry up. And, and, and <laughs> if Gavin Newsom is right— 
which he's not. But if he's right that the chronic and homeless problem is, you know, the by and large, you know, the the the, the wage earner who lost their job. Well, it's not right, but the jobs aren't there because businesses are closing because they can't protect their employees or the customers. Right. I mean, right. it's 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 toxic. What's going on here? This it is. We actually had a representative. There's a organization here in California it goes by the acronym CART, which mm-hmm. is Californians Against Retail and Residential Theft, and a large part of the membership are not major conglomerates like your Targets or Costco's or whatever. These are by and large small mom and pop retail operations mm-hmm. that. Um, are are really under siege yeah. um, in in many instances, especially those that are serving in neighborhoods where you know the police support really needs to be there. And um, one of the other topics that really was exposed in the conversations at this conference yesterday was all this discussion around rising crime rates really needs to be seen also. Uh, in understanding the immense problems that cities are facing in recruiting cops. Right, right, right. We have it here uh, in Phoenix, among us other things. But yes, exactly. Well, and Rafael Mangual went through uh, chapter and verse of certain uh, police departments in New York City that are operating really skeleton crews. Yeah. I mean, uh, 10% of the usual required uh, police officers on the beat or out in squad cars, uh, they're, they're really struggling uh, just to put um, police out on the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And they are. And I don't know if this is something that we can turn really quickly around. I mean, I, I just don't know. The need is urgent, but I don't think the solution is coming. I, the need is urgent. I don't think the fulfillment of the need will happen as urgently as is required here. I mean, there's a lot to do to get back to this, to get back to this sentiment of safety and um, and really civility. Well, I'll, I'll say that I, I think you, you've probably seen the news of this uh, Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson, yep. who happens to be a friend of mine. We just had him out to this speak This is the guy who just changed his party week. registration? Just changed yeah, his party. Right, right. And, and the, the crime issue was really one of those re- main reasons why he did. He had, he had protesters on his lawn uh, back in 2020, late 2019, and, and in that era, demanding that he defund the police. Uh-huh. And he took the stand, obviously, against that. But uh, he launched a new initiative just uh, about a week ago called the Republican Mayor's Association. I think crime is going to be one of those issues, and it comes up every 20 to 30 years as we learn and unlearn, mm-hmm. uh, where people of, of good sense really need to come to the fore, uh, run for office, but it is going to be not just a local issue, but it's going to be a national political issue. It, 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 it certainly is. And whether it will be, you know, the wedding of it, because every city that constitutes the nation is going through this. Young David, uh, like Amelia Bedelia, he made up for his earlier impertinence. He just texted me 560 vacancies in the Phoenix Police Department right now. Wow. That's, a, that's Yeah, that's a wow. So every yeah. city going through this makes it a national problem. But it also becomes a national conversation like it did in right. the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And again, it, 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 that's why we, we put revisiting in the title of the, of the piece. I, I really would encourage, as I had to in, in obviously preparing for the conference, to go back and read that piece. You can yeah. easily find it online, Broken Windows Atlantic, 1982. And it's a, it's a remarkable essay about how neighborhoods, communities, and police departments, really all three need to be working together to reduce crime and uh, and we've we've certainly lost that sense in a number of our major cities it's fun to read it too because you find old names so well that written. you forgot about that you didn't know were doing what they were doing back then like susan yeah. estrich makes an appearance yeah. in there if i'm not mistaken that's right uh uh-huh. pete um just about a minute left is the problem we're having now in these cities under the newsome type administrations or what you have in L.A., is it because of a young age cohort that just doesn't remember any of this, has no memory of this from before, has no memory of the of the, of the pre-Broken Windows lifestyle and the post-Broken Windows success? Yeah. Is, is that part of it? I mean, obviously, we want to teach these things, and you don't have to live through something to know something. But some of it is just a younger mind that just doesn't appreciate that we've been here before. Yeah, at one point in the in his talk, Mangual said that it what happened in the '90s with the met the remarkable reduction in murders and serious crimes was a miracle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yes. if you didn't go through those times to know what it was like to what it became, yeah. you can easily take for granted what it what it requires. Uh, to maintain order. And that was another part of this, right? It's not just crime. It's also, and this is what a lot of Wilson and Kelling's work was about, was about public order. Yep. Um, you know, these these are things that can be easily lost. Yep. Uh, and But if you haven't had that experience of living in cities where you're looking at hundreds, if not thousands of murders a year, I, it would be hard to fault you for, for understanding how quickly it can descend into that yep. if you're not if you're not serious. And by the way, the most brutalized of all these people are not really the store owners. It is the people on the streets. They are the most brutalized yep. victims. If you care about that, then you should care about that. Pete Peterson, I love talking with you. Thank you. Have a great weekend and bless you, sir. You too, Seth. Always great to be with you. God bless. Charlie Kirk uh, posts on uh, Twix a picture from Washington, D.C. of a home with two trans flags and a Palestinian flag in between. And he says liberals are very confused people. Yes. Uh, how did uh, James Kirchick put it on the Bill Maher show? Just uh, wait till you f- discover their adjunct group, African-Americans for the KKK. Young David, uh, this is your generation, and you ask me, how do I think these protesters will be remembered? We don't have a crystal ball. Will they be taken more seriously and positively? Talk to me. What do you got? Well, it, it is it is a question, and um, it's something we don't have a crystal ball. We can't look into the future and see how this conflict will resolve itself. We hope it will resolve itself with the least amount of lives killed possible or injured or maybe whatever the point being how do we resolve this i mean charlie kirk just this morning was making an allegory that this is the beginnings of our generation's vietnam or something like that 
you know, when Vietnam was happening, the college students were burning their bras and their draft cards and having little rallies. And, you know, we look upon those times with nostalgia, but we don't really look upon those people as being uh, in the right in doing so. Do you think that the protesters of the current day will be looked on more positively? I am inclined to think yes. You think the rioters now, or the protesters now, will be looked on more positively over time? If the revisionist historians have their way, I think the current protesters will have their way. Um, Yeah. I I don't don't think, I mean, we don't look at uh, the people who hung out in parks and, uh, you know, smoked little doobie as being, making the greatest choices in the late 60s and early 70s, but we look upon the hippies as a generational thing. We made them professors. Yeah, exactly. It's a fascinating uh, question. How do you think they'll be looked on in five years, 10 years, 20 years from now? Well, one hopes they'll be looked on the same way that people who marched for the National Socialists in the 1930s were looked on in the 1940s and 1950s and 1960s and 1970s. One hopes they'll be looked on that way. That is the same ethos and ethic they represent. One doesn't know, of course, and um, that's what is so heart-wrenching. And that's why I keep talking about these lies like never again. It happens over and over and over again. Uh, A people of memory... um, I'll raise this with Rabbi Alush, a people of memory, a people of history that are too terribly used to these memories and histories, and a world that is too terribly used to reminding them of it. It's a powerful uh, question, David. We'll revisit it. Unfortunately, we'll have to. All right, Rabbi Alush, come up. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 